So uh, some of you were here uh, last week and some of you were not. Uh, I uh, mentioned uh, last week uh, we've been sort of in a series on sex and that makes everybody uncomfortable uh, in one way or another. Uh, but actually, I gave you some false information. I thought that uh, Pastor Joseph was going to be picking up next week on that topic, and it turns out, because of scheduling, he's actually not going to return to 1 Corinthians 6 until uh, like a month or so from now. Uh, so you just have to hold off, you know, for the final uh, conclusion that uh, he'll be giving, and I'm sure he'll have good things to say uh, at that point. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, which is printed in your bulletin, uh, on page five, and I read a good chunk of the chapter last week, and most of that is in what's in italics uh, that you have in front of you, uh, but um, I'm not going to read uh, the part in italics, uh, that is part uh, you know, that we talked about in last week, so I'll be mostly just focusing on the, the part that I left out last week, uh, which is not in italics. Uh, and um, uh, I think we'd be talking about, uh, even though there's a lot of uh, talk about sexuality and so on, actually this week I'm going to really be talking a much bigger picture, uh, not just about marriage. We're really talking about sort of Paul's whole stance on thinking about this issue. Uh, so if you would either turn in your Bibles uh, or to page 5 of the bulletin where it's printed, I'll be reading um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I hear then the Word of God. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. <clears throat> the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. And the skipping down to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant <clears throat> is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, <clears throat> there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. If those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. 
I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so uh, what is Paul doing here? What is he talking about? I'm going to really just sort of start uh, and go through and uh, look at just some of the details uh, and then take a big step back and look at the big picture. Um, one of the things uh, really to clear up right at the start is uh, Paul mentions this phrase, in view of the present distress. Uh, he says that. Um, and um, there have been some commentators, some people would sort of take that passage as saying that essentially everything he's saying in this chapter is just for them in the first century has really nothing to do with us. That he's giving advice just for a specific people, a specific time, and so we can just sort of ignore it. Um, so is Paul really uh, saying that? Is he saying that all of his advice is really just, you know, for those people at that particular time? Um, the context of that is probably, uh, Paul is writing this roughly in the 60s, uh, and um, a lot of things are going to happen to the church in the next uh, couple decades. Uh, we know that the city of Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD. Uh, that dispersed the Jews. There was a major uh, trauma uh, in the Jewish part of the church due to that. Uh, persecution in the Roman Empire uh, was on the rise even at the time that Paul is writing this. Uh, and so there's a lot of disastrous things going on. And so, in a sense, you could say, yeah, Paul is uh, saying that the decisions we make do depend on our situation, depend on our context, uh, and so we do need to take those things into account when we make decisions about big things like getting married and so on. Um, on the other hand, I would say that Paul is not just making a specific argument to a specific people at a specific time. He's actually making some very general arguments, uh, and he's invoking what I would call, and I've preached on this in the past, uh, the, the vanity theme. Uh, so, uh, I'm not going to give you a, a, a whole, you know, survey of all of Scripture, but uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, uh, you might be familiar with that term, uh, use vanity, vanity, all is vanity, and so on. That's actually not just in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all through the uh, Bible, through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Paul uh, refers to that when he says, the present form of this world is passing away. And also, actually, if you look at verse 29, he says, from now on, uh, let those who have wives live as though they had none. He's not saying just right now. He's saying this is an ongoing principle. Uh, and then he does this interesting thing where he has a bunch of really kind of poetic things that almost in one sense don't really make sense, but it's really, uh, he's kind of driving home a point uh, almost like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first and so on. He's saying those who mourn should be as though they're not mourning, uh, those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they were not buying, uh, those who deal with the world as though they were not, uh, and those who have wives as though they had no wives. And so you're like, how can that even be? What does that even mean? And I would argue what he's doing is he's really setting up a contrast between worldliness and an eternal perspective. Uh, that that's really the big picture that he's laying out here, and he's summarizing that in saying, for the present form of this world is passing away. Uh, so just to, I'm not going to, you know, summarize the entire book of Ecclesiastes, but let me just read you some verses. These are in your additional scriptures. I'm just going to read a few of these where you see these echoes uh, really as a theme throughout scripture. So 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, 
says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So do you hear that? The world is passing away and the kingdom of God is forever. Uh, Sort of a two-choice type of perspective. Uh, Jesus takes this up in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up, this is Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, And then jumping down a little bit, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. Is not life more than food? and then jumping down a little bit more. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, Once again, the kingdom of God versus running after the things of this world. Do you see that that contrast there? Uh, And I'll just read one more here from Philippians chapter four. This is one that's actually uh, misquoted or taken out of context a lot. Uh, You'll see things on the internet, memes that completely misquote this here. Uh, Paul says, I'm not speaking now of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So in the context, Paul is not saying... Uh, in this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God has given me superpower to do whatever my dream is set at, right? That's actually not what he's saying. He's saying, sometimes God calls me to suffer uh, and, and not have the things of this world. Other times, I have the things of this world, and actually, they don't really matter to me because I'm content in every situation, whether poor or rich, successful or not successful. Uh, and so, that's the same kind of theme that Paul is bringing here. You notice he's sort of saying, married, unmarried, the point is to be content, right? It's not, you must get this or your life is worthless. Uh, you must get this uh, or you failed somehow with the game of life. Uh, and I could go on. Uh, there's a number of others in the additional scriptures that you can look at. Uh, so what I'm drawing for here is a general theme of scripture. Uh, and I'm going to put here sort of worldliness on one side uh, and an eternal perspective on the other side. And so if you're wondering what was going on with those uh, verses from, say, Psalm 90 that we read earlier in the text, uh, or in the service, um, Moses is setting up an eternal perspective, right? He's saying, teach us to number our days, that the things of this world are passing away. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, you have in the Revelation passage, uh, God saying to people, you think you are rich, by the world's standards you are rich, but I'm telling you, you are poor in the things that are eternal, Uh, And so if we think in this very general terms, um, I'm going to make a contrast between worldliness and an eternal perspective. And I I think this is printed in uh, the outline. I have a kind of a diagram here. So imagine worldly on one side, uh, eternal on the other side. So I'm just going to read these contrasts. A worldly person is anxious a lot, anxious about getting, keeping things that they have, uh, and especially things that they feel will keep them safe or will fulfill them. That's worldly perspective. Eternal perspective, non-anxious, trusting in God, even in the worst-case scenario, 
uh, such as poverty or death, that would be okay. Like Paul, the person with the eternal perspective could say, I could be content even if I was poor. Uh, even if I died, I would go to be with the Lord. It's, it wouldn't, you know, be the end of the world, literally. <laughs> um, okay, worldly. Uh, worried about pleasing people uh, or using people to get ahead. People are big. God is small. An eternal perspective, not particularly concerned about what people think uh, and concerned about what God thinks. Worldly, uh, breaking the commands of God whenever they conflict with the worldly goals that we have, that we think we have to have. And I talked last week about idolatry, and and sometimes people uh, take marriage and make that an idol. It's something I absolutely must have. I will do whatever it takes to make this happen. Uh, or in our society, maybe not marriage, just having sex. I will do whatever it takes to make that happen because it's my idol, it must happen. Um, on the other hand, an eternal perspective uh, keeps God's commands even when there's a cost to me because what I'm losing is small in comparison to that which is eternal. Uh, again, worldly perspective, constantly seeking more, never content, always feeling there's one more thing down the road I need to get or I'm not going to be happy. Uh, eternal perspective, content, as Paul was saying, although um, taking the opportunity sometimes to do new things when God opens the door. So you notice that Paul says, sort of in passing there, uh, if you are a slave, be content being a slave, but if you do get the chance to get your freedom, like, you should do that. Uh, That's great. Uh, But if you can't, uh, you can be content even being a slave. Uh, and Rome had a lot of slaves. I think, um, if I remember right, the majority of people in the Roman, Roman Empire uh, were slaves of one sort uh, or another. So that's the first kind of big picture concept that I want to give you. The second one is one that Paul really brings up a number of times here, and this is the idea of calling, the, the idea of a calling from God. So you notice in verse 17, He says, uh, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. And then as he goes through, you'll see that word calling uh, coming up uh, a number of times uh, in the text. So um, this is another concept that uh, is a very old one uh, in Christianity, but it is uh, often really misunderstood. Uh, I would say a lot of people think that the doctrine of calling or even maybe in the secular world, they think of a calling not necessarily from God, but they still think of uh, the idea of a calling. Something like the following. Uh, God has uniquely gifted me to do exactly one thing, and I have to drop everything else to find that one perfect thing and to do that. Uh, that's how a lot of people think about calling. Like, I am waiting to find out, like, my calling. Uh, and when I find that, that's something I'll throw myself into, and that will be, like, the perfect fulfilling thing. But actually what Paul is saying here is almost exactly the opposite of that. He's saying whatever situation you're in, that's your calling. You're wondering what your calling is, what you're doing, that's it, that's your calling. Uh, And so you should be content in what God has called you to do. And he has similar things that he says in other places of Scripture where he says God has prepared in advance good works for you to do, or whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So the way Paul is using the idea of calling here is, is not finding the one perfect thing uh, or, you know, finding the one perfect spouse, but he's saying what is, lies in front of you to do, which is good and moral, do that and do it well uh, and be content with that. At the same time, he's not saying, he's not forbidding anyone to change callings. He's saying if you're a slave and you, have, you know, can get out of that, that's great. 
Uh, if you're betrothed and uh, you want to get married, that's fine. Uh, but your basic stance should be one in which you could be content in whatever you're doing. And so that's a basic heart question. If there was no open doors to do anything else, could you be content in exactly the situation you're in right now until you die? Uh, that's really what Paul is saying. He's saying you should be content where you are and be able to stay where you are. And again, it might be that God calls you to change, but it might not be, and your basic stance should be, can I be happy uh, where I am? There's a very famous quote of Martin Luther uh, talking about calling, in which he talks about, suppose you're a carpenter, uh, and you're called, uh, well, you, you know, this is your calling, according to Luther, to be a carpenter. What does it mean to be a carpenter called by the Lord? Well, Luther said, uh, it's not so much about, you know, making money to give to the church to support missions or trying to evangelize on the side. He's saying if you're a carpenter, your main calling is to make very good tables uh, and to be a good carpenter at what you're doing uh, and not feel like you're yearning for something else. Oh, I wish I was an evangelist or I wish I was a doctor or something like that. He's saying if you're a carpenter, the first thing you should be about is making very good tables because he said, Jesus, there was not a shoddy table that ever came out of Jesus' uh, workshop uh, in Nazareth uh, when he was growing up. Okay, so that's the basic overarching stance. So now I'm going to bring this into marriage uh, and talk about uh, how Paul applies this to the specific case of marriage. <clears throat> and some of this is review of last week, so I'm going to go a little bit quickly uh, over uh, some of this and then I'll land on uh, the last point a little bit uh, more. So the first I mentioned last week is that Paul is saying marriage is the general norm. Uh, as I talked about last week, what Paul is saying here, and you heard this in some of the text I read, he's not laying down laws as if this is a no exception law. He's saying this is my generally good advice. This is generally how things work. Uh, and so um, it's not as though there are no exceptions to any of this, but he's saying in general, each man, this is uh, in verse uh, two of chapter seven, each man should have his own wife and each woman her husband. Now, he clearly goes on to say there's many exceptions to that, but he's saying it's the norm. Uh, it's normal to get married. Uh, at the same time, and so that was really, that's all I'm going to say about point one, okay? Uh, marriage is, is normal. Um, on the other hand, he goes right on to say, do not be anxious to get married. Uh, and as I talked about last week, I've seen that actually destroy people, people who were so... Uh, ripped in, in shreds because they were not married and they deeply wanted to be married. Uh, and uh, what Paul's advice is, is, again, sort of from last week, uh, to you, he says, be content where you are. Be content as a person walking with the Lord. And he even says it's somewhat preferable uh, to be single uh, because there's many things you won't have to deal with and you'll be able to devote yourself uh, to these things and so on. Uh, but I would say even... Uh, more fundamentally, um, even if you're thinking that you might eventually get married, the type of person you are now is the person you will bring to that marriage. Uh, and if you're thinking, I am miserable right now and I need marriage to make me happy, that's a good recipe for having an unhappy marriage. Uh, and I have this quote from Larry Crabb in the front of the bulletin, uh, and I'll just read it because it's pretty good. A marriage bound together by commitments to exploit the other to fill one's own needs can legitimately be described as a tick on a dog relationship. So this is somebody who says, I am so empty and needy, I need marriage to fill me up. 
And, he, and Larry Crabb uses a very colorful language. He says, uh, just as a hungry tick clamps on a nourishing host in anticipation of a meal, so each partner unites with the other in the expectation of finding what his or her personal nature demands. I want to get married so that person can just shower me with love. That's going to make me feel great. And then Larry Crabb says, the problem, of course, is that generally in marriages like that, you've got two ticks and no dog, right? You're each trying to draw from the other person all of this wonderful warmth, you know, and nobody's willing to be the one uh, to support the other. Uh, so uh, even if you are uh, called to be married, uh, and that uh, is something that arises, you will have a far better ground in your marriage if you are now, as a single person, uh, a content person who's content in the Lord, uh, and, you're not, and you're able to draw on the Lord uh, as your dog in that analogy. I'm not sure if I can push that analogy too far, um, but if you're able to draw on the Lord for your spiritual resources and not need this person to fill you up, you'll actually have a better marriage. And so that really argues for forming good relationships in the church at every stage of life, uh, not waiting for some magical thing to happen to fill you up. So that was point two. Uh, like I said, marriage is the norm. Don't be anxious to be married. Be content where you are. Uh, point three, uh, this is a paraphrase of Paul. Uh, if the opportunity for marriage arises, go for it. <laughs> um, now, he does give one constraint. He says we are to marry in the Lord, uh, that Christians are to marry Christians. Um, on the other hand, I didn't really talk about this last week, but we did talk about the romantic view people have in our society in general, in which people uh, have this idea, again, that this person will perfectly fill me up and so that sometimes can lead to trying to find the perfect person to fill me up. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, the world is full of a lot of very flawed people, right? And so some people remain unmarried because of a sort of a romantic notion that there is one perfect person for them out there somewhere, and the very person in front of them is somebody they're not actually paying attention to because that person seems too flawed somehow. Uh, and, and to that person, I think Paul would say, Marry the person in front of you. Don't marry the hypothetical, imaginary, perfect person that you're dreaming up as your idol. Uh, and so, as we talked about last week, Paul is very pragmatic. You know, it, this is not a romantic view of marriage at all. Maybe that's something that turns people off. He's not saying, uh, you know, as the violin plays, you know, perfect marriage will descend on you and make your Christian life perfectly fulfilled. He's kind of like, well... Um, if you have a desire to have sex, probably that means you should get married. You know, okay. <laughs> um, very, very pragmatic. Uh, and as I talked about last week, uh, he's very, uh, maybe more direct about talking about sex than we would feel comfortable with. But he's saying sex is a normal part of marriage. And if you want to have sex, that's a good indication that generally speaking, you should be married. At the same time, don't fret about it if it's not in your life right now. Uh, it's not the end of the world. It's not the greatest thing, and there's actually many things to be preferred, to be preferred uh, by being uh, single. Okay, now the fourth point is not one I brought up last week, and this is uh, where I land in verse 29 uh, this week. Uh, Paul says, if you are married, live as though you are not married. That's interesting, right? What does that even mean? Uh, it it's really comes in the context of a whole bunch of things. He says, uh, if you're rejoicing, live as though you were not rejoicing. Uh, if you're mourning, uh, live as though you're not mourning. Um, 
So what could that possibly mean? And this gets back to, I would say, this whole idea of worldliness uh, versus an eternal perspective. I think what Paul is doing is he's setting up a contrast between <clears throat> the person who is like bound or attached to this thing versus the person who holds it lightly and says, you know, this is a thing in my life, it's real, but it's not like the summation of everything. And so if you're rejoicing, that's great, but it's not like I must have this one thing that makes me rejoice, and if I don't have that, I'm going to be miserable. Uh, in the same way, if you're mourning, uh, go through that. Be a mourner. It's part of life. Don't try to pretend nothing is wrong. But at the same time, don't let it be like this weight on you that tears you down. Have an eternal perspective to say, this too shall pass, right? Uh, and a number of, of, of other different things. Uh, if you are free, uh, think of yourself as the slave of Christ, uh, that uh, you are never truly free in this world. Uh, and we all have uh, authorities in our lives, but ultimately God is an authority over us. And so that can really speak to some people who are like, my idol, my goal is I have to be perfectly free. I have to find that place of perfect freedom where I can do whatever I like. Uh, it's probably never going to happen. Uh, and again, can you be content uh, in a situation like that? So in terms of marriage, Paul essentially defines uh, what he means by living as though uh, you're not married by setting up a contrast and saying, well, this is what a worldly marriage looks like, uh, and then don't live like that, right? So he says, you know, in a worldly marriage, this person is, their attention is split, and so with part of their mind, they're thinking they want to please God, and with another part, they're saying, uh, how can I, you know, make this person uh, like me? Uh, and, and how can I uh, please them in a worldly sense? Uh, and I don't think he's saying uh, any of that is bad per se. Uh, he's saying, you know, engage in the things of this world. After all, you know, he says those who trade in the goods of this world should act like they're not trading in the goods of this world. He's not saying don't do any trading. He's not saying never go shopping, right? But he's saying when you go shop, shop as though you're not shopping. That's kind of a funny thing to say, right? But I think what he's getting at is don't let it grip your heart to the point that this is the ultimate thing, right? And for some people, actually, there is like shopping addiction, right? That like you can actually shop and you can be caught up in the trading and the goods of this world, or for other people, it might be stock trading and so on. Uh, essentially, every good thing in this world is fine for Christians to engage in, but we shouldn't let our hearts be grasped by them uh, to have it take over. And so he's saying... Uh, if you marry, you're not in sin. So clearly he's, he's not saying um, don't get married because he said multiple times, if you marry, that's great, that's fine, it's actually even the norm. Um, but he's saying you should live in a different way. You should live in a way uh, that holds it very lightly, uh, not as the people of this world uh, live in, in their marriages. Uh, and, uh, you know, just to, you know, maybe drive a, a, a point home that might have come to people's minds, um, does, you know, could we interpret that to say, well, people who are married should not have sex because they should live as though they were not married? Absolutely not. Paul has a whole paragraph I talked about last week saying, no, the norm in marriage is to have sex regularly. Uh, and actually, in the Q&A last time uh, after the service, you know, issues came up about, well, what if someone really had, you know, saying that you should regularly have sex in marriage is a normal part of marriage. What if that's really a huge uh, stress in your marriage. Uh, how do you handle that? 
Uh, it does not mean that you just sort of just grin and bear it, but it does say that you move toward that. You get counseling, you talk to people, and you say, how can we move toward a healthy sex life? Uh, Christians should be able to move toward that. That's not to say that for certain people that might not be a lot more work than other people uh, in terms of getting advice, uh, really asking why are we having problems, and so on. So we can talk about that again in the Q&A if you'd like. Uh, but basically, Paul is saying, it's fine. Be married. Uh, I expect most people will. I actually think it's better, uh, if you can, to be single. Uh, but he's saying, even when you're married, you should not be worldly in your marriage. You should not be so attached to it as the fulfillment of all things, uh, and not something that is a driving thing for your sense of self-image, for your sense of success, uh, and so on. So just to finish up with a few uh, practical matters, um, just in, in, in practical matters, I would say one uh, way to incorporate this is to have an outward-focused marriage, not an inward-focused marriage. Uh, if you notice the contrast he's making, the inward-focused marriage is, I am all about making this other person happy, and it's just the two of us in this little love nest, and everything is just all about us and our little thing. And the whole... Uh, feel of the Bible is that we should be overflowing to other people, that we should say, I am blessed so that I can bless others. Uh, and so having an outward uh, marriage that creates friendships with other people, that practices hospitality, uh, that involves kids in welcoming other people, uh, and is outward focused in general, I think is what Paul is kind of getting at here, uh, that we should have a marriage which is not just about me being fulfilled and fulfilling the other person, but having a larger picture. Uh, and again, as, a, as a, another just very a pragmatic detail, spiritually in your marriage, uh, are you being fed by Christ? Are you uh, being filled up by him? Or are you like that tick on the dog, or the tick without the dog, uh, who is saying, I'm, I'm trying to get stuff from this other person, they keep failing me. They keep not giving me all the things I want. Uh, and if, if you have that attitude, you really... Uh, need to have a whole perspective to change and say, I need to rest on Christ as the one who fulfills me, and that's available for everybody, uh, married or not married. So just in conclusion, uh, one of the things that Paul says along the way uh, in his whole thing about calling, uh, you may have missed, is that God cares about you, and He cares about what you do. Uh, that He has, uh, as He says elsewhere in Scripture, he has uh, prepared in advance good things for us to do. And Paul uses the language here of calling, and he says, uh, do the thing that God has called you to do. Well, that implies that God is paying attention, and He cares about what you're doing. It's not like, you know, if you missed the boat and you didn't get into this one school or you didn't get this job, well, you know, you've got nothing to do now. Uh, but no, God has given you good things to do in whatever situation you're in, uh, and that's a good calling and something that God wants you to pursue uh, with lots of energy. Um, at the same time, as he calls us to engage in the things of this world, he's saying, hold them lightly. He's saying, I am the fulfillment. I am the anchor. While we do these things, we never leave the anchor, which is God himself, and substitute success in these things uh, for what uh, actually can only be found in God himself. So let's pray.